Well, good evening, Sunday night. Uh, so glad you guys are here worshiping with us together. If you guys don't know me, uh, my name is Isaiah Mina. I get the privilege to be one of the worship pastors here at Bellship Fayetteville. <laughs> um, and I'm really, really grateful that I get to serve alongside you guys tonight. Uh, we're going to teach you guys a new song tonight. It's really simple. Some of you guys might know it. It simply says, God, you're Jaira, you're enough. Um, I will be content in every circumstance. And that word Jaira means uh, Lord, our provider. And I don't know where you guys are at tonight, whether you're walking in here feeling really filled up or whether you're feeling really empty. But what I do know is that the God we serve is here to meet you where you're at. And whatever needs you're coming in here with, they're not too much for him to provide for. So let's sing to that end. Let's sing knowing that our God is good, he loves us, and he's with us. Let's sing. Never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I could do to let you Doesn't take it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. I 
Jaira. And you are Jaira. You are
Just thanks for another day. Thanks for waking us up this morning, for putting breath in our lungs with that being a grace that we never take for granted. Lord, thanks for worship that we can come and join together in song and do that freely. Lord, we also don't, don't want to take that for granted. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would open the hearts and minds and, and ears of everybody in this room and that we would ultimately learn more about who you are tonight. Uh, Father, we love and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all can grab a seat. Welcome to Fellowship College. My name's Garland. Glad to be with y'all here uh, tonight. Uh, this is one of my favorite nights. We do this a couple, maybe every couple of years, kind of the, the open Q&A. And while uh, the rest of the, oh, they're already up there. So they're coming up here. They're already there. Um, well, they're getting set up. A couple things just for you to put in your calendar or be aware of, uh, things that will be going on. The first is this. We will not have service next week since it is fall break. And so we'll be off next week. The, the next week after, that'll be Halloween, and we will have a service. Come in your costume. Uh, we might be taking pictures out the foyer. It'll be hilarious. So Halloween night, we'll have a service here. Uh, second thing is this, uh, November the 11th, so just put this in your calendar, November the 11th, just a little bit outside of town, uh, we have a family that's uh, going to donate their barn for the night, and we're going to have just a full-on old-fashioned hoedown out there, so come on, we're going to have a caller. If you've never been to a hoedown with an actual caller who calls out the dances and calls out what you're supposed to say, they're always like 98 years old, we're going to have a caller that night as well, and so mark that in your calendar, November 11th, we'll give you more information as we get closer uh, to it. The, the third thing is this, if you are... If you're on our worship team uh, and you're a, if you're a lady in the room, Kelly Parks is one of our uh, our worship shepherds, and she's awesome. Yeah, Kelly's back at the back there tonight. She's gonna be here tonight. She'll be right down here uh, at the end of the service. She's gonna have uh, just host all of you that are involved in uh, our worship team here, all of you ladies involved in our worship team this Thursday night at her house. And so come come find her later if that's you. In the room. Here's what we're gonna do tonight. Go ahead and put the QR code up there if you don't mind, uh, back there in the back. We're, we're gonna have just a, a Q&A tonight, and this is the night where I attempt to try to not get fired uh, for saying something inappropriate. Uh, and so what, what we wanna do, and you can still send in questions, okay? So you can hit the QR code. If a question comes to your mind tonight as we're going through this, then send it in. They're gonna be fielding the questions, and they'll kind of throw them out. I don't know what's been sent in. I don't know what we're about to talk about. Um, but here's why we do this, okay? Uh, and, and to me, this is a really, uh, it's a special night. It's an important night. Here's why we do this, uh, though. Here's the, the big why. Three reasons. Three reasons why this is important. The first reason is this. Um, my bet is almost all of you, there's probably a handful of people in the room that I'm not speaking to here, but most of you, you have your own questions and doubts. Like there are things you read in the Bible, things you see about the church, things you hear about maybe history and the church or the Old Testament, and you go, I don't know about that. There's probably some things that you might be really skeptical about. And one of my deep fears, and I see this a lot from, from people, is they have this idea that they're supposed to stuff those behind when they come to the church and pretend like they don't have those. And I hate that. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. And so we want the church to be a safe place for you to bring those questions and those doubts and those worries and those, I don't get it. And we're going to just open that up tonight for you to be able to send those questions in. The second big reason is this. Whether you have the doubts or not, whether you're a naturally trusting person, you don't have those doubts, you have friends that do. 
So if you're a Jesus follower in the room, you have friends that are skeptical. You have friends that don't buy it. You have friends that got some significant questions about this whole Jesus thing, the gospel, the Bible. And when we go out and try to share Jesus with people and let them in on what it is that's changed our lives, if we don't take seriously their questions, then oftentimes it becomes really dismissive of that person. And so we wanna take seriously some of the questions and the doubts of our friends and culture around us. And the third reason is this. So the first one is, what do you do with our own doubts? Second one is, what about your friend's doubts? And the third one is this. Questions and curiosity and continuing to grow and going, I don't get this, explain it. That doesn't stunt intimacy with God, it grows intimacy with God. Like my wife and I got married uh, a little over 12 years ago, 12 and a half years ago, and if, if on our wedding day I looked at Sarah and I said, I know all I need to know about you, this good. I don't, need to, I don't need to stay curious about your heart. I don't need to continue to learn who you are and what makes you tick. I don't need to go, why did you do that? I need to learn more about that. If I did not do that, then it would stunt our intimacy. I wouldn't get to know her better. But my curiosity to learn her heart more and more and more, it develops our intimacy. And the same thing is true uh, with your relationship with the Lord. So don't run from your doubts. Don't run from your questions. Don't run from your fear. Press into them. We hope that tonight's a safe place uh, to be able to do that. So uh, what are y'all laughing about back here? I don't know what y'all are doing. So y'all, we're just gonna throw, y'all just have the questions. I have no idea what's coming. Let's see. As they can talk, we can all talk, you can talk, we'll see what happens here. We, we got the questions, all right. I mean, they are just flooding in our inbox right now. And so we'll start you off with, with a pretty easy one. We have, what is this, 62 questions that have been submitted, and over half of them, 33, are all about the Hogs football team. I would have guessed that. Okay. Yes, we got screwed again Th- in the 30, Auburn game, and I don't know how this keeps happening. And so there's a lot of expletives, a lot of things I can't yeah. say on yeah, I would stage. Guess that. So we'll just, here's the best one right here. We'll bypass those. Are the hogs back or nah? Hogs are back. The hogs are back. We got screwed. <laughs> hogs are back, yes. I don't know what Auburn has on the referees, but it really drives me crazy. And most people are curious why you stopped. You claim to be a prophet here on stage in front of everybody. Most people are curious why you stopped prophesying because they were 4-0 when you were prophesying, we were looking good, and then you stopped. This thing has a note on it that says, not a stool. <laughs> so should I sit in it or not? No? Burton. Burton says no. I'm gonna lean on it. Okay. You look cute up there. I feel really dainty right now. I don't like anything about this. I'm gonna stop doing that. So we want a, we want a second half of the season prophecy right now. I think, I think we win all but one the rest of the way. Is that Bama? Is nine that wins. Talking about? Eight, eight wins plus bowl game, nine wins. Yeah. Are you talking about Bama? I don't know yet. I think we take them out. Okay. <laughs> and then a really profound question. Now that we got that one out of the way, a really hey, prof- if A&M can beat Bama, then we can beat Bama. Come on now. <laughs> so true. The, the next profound question we have is, why does our Fellowship College logo look like a P? It also looks like a Lego hand. You see it? <laughs> I always see in it, a, for some reason, this tells you a lot about me, I see a bottle opener uh, when I see it. Uh, Whoa. So that's what I see when I see it. But I'm a bad person, so. Well, now that we got those out we of the way. We got those big ones out of the way. Okay, okay. Um, if God already knows everything, Garland, and if he already has a plan for us, then why should we still pray? That's a good question. Um, well, y'all are answering some of these. I'm not answering all of these. Uh, 
So when we talk about we talk about God and his sovereignty. So the question is, if God already knows everything, oh, it's on the screen, okay, yeah. Um, then what's the purpose of praying? And I get this question a lot. We're talking about the sovereignty of God, God's providence in this world, and then how does our human responsibility intersect with that? And in this case, specifically, we're talking about uh, the nature of prayer. And just the first, the first thing I wanna say to whoever asked this question is, we, we might need to flip what our purpose of prayer is. Uh, prayer is... Not so much, um, let me rub uh, a rabbit's foot or a genie in the bottle and get God to do what I want. A lot of what prayer uh, is designed to do is aligning me with the nature and character of God, aligning my will with what it looks like to make God or Jesus my king. But here's the interesting part about this question. When we come to the Bible with a picture of God as some distant, all-powerful being way up there, right, kind of in the sky up there, and he's powerful and strong, we're gonna to have to square that with the, the pictures of who God is when we read our Bibles. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but go read your Old Testament. The God of the scripture is not some distant, far-off God uninvolved. He is responding. He is connected to. He is engaged in the things going on on the ground. And so I'm thinking of the story of Jonah, for example, when Jonah the prophet is able to pray, and God, uh, Jonah records the people of Nineveh responding to Jonah's call, and the response of God adjusts. And we have to have a category in our minds for what it looks like to have a God who is complicated, who is sovereign and powerful, who has determined his will, and yet who also responds to things on the ground. And squaring those two things, God's sovereignty, and how does that work with what we do on the ground? Squaring those, marrying those two things can be really difficult and challenging. And there's a little bit of mystery there. And so uh, whoever asked this question, I I'm with you. Um, what we see is a God who responds to our genuine prayer, who a God who's engaged in our very day-to-day -day lives, and yet a God who's also powerful and strong, and we're gonna have to square those two categories uh, in our mind. I know that's not some bullet-pointed answer. By the way, I should have said earlier, the goal of tonight is not necessarily to walk out with like, oh, there's the three-point answer for that, and we got it. The goal is to be able to process this uh, together. And so this is a really profound question about the nature of God's sovereignty and our responsibility and how we wed those two things is a little bit mysterious. And instead of that frustrating you or frustrating me, it used to frustrate me, now I actually, I allow that mystery, that tension to be there and it leads me to, to really honor God and worship him in that. So I don't know if y'all would add anything, you're not even listening back there, but I don't know if y'all would add anything. Um, but that, that's, we're gonna have to let some mystery sit there uh, on this question. But it starts with maybe shifting even what we think prayer is designed to do. Prayer, more than just getting God to do my bidding, it's aligning my heart with Jesus as king. If you wanna see what that looks like, look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six. It begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are the king, your kingdom comes. So when you pray, that's where I start uh, in my prayer. I know that's not a sufficient, deep philosophical answer. Whoever asked this, if you want, let's go get coffee. And we'll go talk about the ways that philosophers have tried to square these two things. It gets pretty cool. But nobody wants to talk about Molinism and counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, uh, I don't think, tonight. So if that's you, we'll go talk. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have a little party over coffee. Uh, what's next? Okay, I want to I add a little bit of what you just said, not off that question. But we are not going to be able to get to all these questions. And there's so many great questions. So if whatever question you submitted doesn't get answered, we would more than love to meet up with y'all and talk with y'all through some of these questions. Um, but another question, good question, 
is what will heaven be like? That is a good question. Here's Don't my, go too long on it. Don't go too long? You're gonna be short? Okay, so here's the, uh, when we come back for Halloween, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna actually do a series. We're gonna call it Reconstructing Your Faith. Uh, I recognize that many people in this room and many people that you know came from church backgrounds and they're deconstructing their faith right now. What we're gonna do is uh, on Halloween night and the, the rest of the, the services in here, we're just gonna do a four-week series where we're gonna just reconstruct. Uh, what, is, what is the Bible actually teaching us about uh, who God is, heaven, the Bible, church, all these different things? So here's a, here's a brief answer, a short answer. So we're gonna talk about this very question on Halloween night. We tailored it to be Halloween night. We're talking about death and life after death on Halloween night. Spooky. So come that night. It's going to be really fun. Um, wear your costume. It'd be really funny. Um, so but be, be appropriate, be classy, please. Right? Be, be appropriate in your costume, please. Um, so if your conception of hell is something like this, I'll give a couple of things that I hear frequently. Uh, it's a disembodied spirit floating on a cloud. That sounds sucky. Um, it's going to be you flying around with like a harp somewhere on a cloud also. That sounds sucky. Uh, or my, my least favorite one, an eternal worship service where you sit in like a giant stadium, like Razorback Stadium, um, and then you worship and worship and worship for like four years, and it only gets broken up when they say, they call a name, and that person has to come down and they show your whole life on the screen, and then you, you see all of your life and all the bad things you did, and Jesus is like, I'm so disappointed, but I died for you, so I gotta let you in. I guess get back in your seat. If that's what you think heaven's gonna be like, let me give you a snapshot. That's, those all sound terrible, and none of that is how the Bible describes hell, or heaven, not hell. None of that's how the Bible describes heaven. It actually sounds like hell, yeah. None of that's how the Bible describes heaven. Uh, the way that the Bible describes our eternal state is this world, the beauty of this world, the beauty of God's creation in this world, remade and reformed without the stain of sin. What we typically call heaven, the place that we're kind of disembodied, the, the scripture actually very rarely talks about that state, and when they do, it's called the intermediate state. We might call it intermediate heaven, but that's not what our eternal destiny will be like. Here's what I like to say this, and I'm giving away a lot from two weeks from now. Uh, think of your best day with your best friends, having an awesome conversation about something really cool in the Bible, all with an awesome sunset, Think about that recreated without any of the stain of sin that gets in the way of that, and we get it, that's a taste of what our eternal state will be like. And then I get really excited. So we're gonna reconstruct heaven when we come back for Halloween. Uh, so that, that'll be sufficient for now. It's gonna be awesome. Not floating with babies and harps, weird. Go ahead, next. How, do, how can we trust that the Bible is inspired by God? Okay. Um, Christians in the room? Followers of Jesus in a room, a lot of you, I'm sure. Um, you cannot empirically prove, okay? I cannot empirically prove that this is God's word. None of, no, nobody can. As a Jesus follower in the room, what you are saying is, as a matter of, of presupposition, as a matter of assumption, as a matter of faith, I believe that this is God's inspired word, that the God who created this world has revealed himself in these words. But I can't empirically prove that. Now, I, I don't know if the person asking is asking this question to say, uh, how would I defend that to a skeptical person or not? If you're saying, how can I trust this book? Here's my, my, my challenge to you would be this. Begin to get to know Jesus by reading this book. 
Uh, begin to pray as you do so. And what I have seen when I read God's word, I, I believe that these are God's inspired words. I can't prove it, but I believe that these are God's inspired words. And as I submit to them and as I read them, what it does is it, it, it teaches me something about who this God is and the God that this book is teaching me about is the God that's changed my life. It's the God that I see consistent in these pages. It's a God that I don't think humans would invent, a God who would have the audacity to take on human flesh and be crucified on a Roman cross. I don't think humans invent that kind of a being. And so I see it consistent. I look, the things that we've looked at historically uh, that this Bible talks about, we've gone and found a lot of those things. But that's not gonna prove, a, prove that to a skeptical friend of yours. If you're here in the room and you're going, I don't like that answer. Gotcha. You know, you Christians, you, don't, you can't prove it. Let me challenge you, if you're, if you're in the room and you're committed to naturalism, atheism, you're committed to some kind of deist God way out there, how can you trust that what you believe is, is, is real or true? I would challenge you, what are your base faith claims? There may be different conversations. That may be you in the room, and if that's you, we'd love to talk. I'd love to chat with you after this. If you have a follow-up to that, send it in so I can know. That's not what I meant by that question, how can I trust the Bible? Please answer it this way, and we'll do that. But uh, I, I hope that's sufficient. Anything to add? I honestly didn't hear anything you said. You're not listening to a word that's going on. There's, that's okay. That's okay. There How are many now, are in? We have now close to 150 questions, and oh we're trying gosh, to we're trying yeah, to we'll cycle through these. I'm sure what you said yeah. was amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Life uh, life changing. Even. I said you can't prove this is God's word. If you, in case you missed it, yeah. I What's will, next? I will say though, um, speak for yourself when it comes to the heaven thing because I don't know about y'all, but floating on a cloud. You cannot tell me you have not thought about floating on a cloud. You know, when you're on an airplane that and you look out, you're like, like okay. hell. I don't like heights, so okay. I'm out. That's when I'm in an airplane and we go, go through clouds, I get terrified and I start sweating. I don't like anything about clouds. Okay. I always heard that heaven was like Disneyland. You but, were told that? Yeah. That's, not, that's, that's better than clouds. Have you been on a weekend? Those lines no, That are... sounds like hell. <laughs> kind of like Branson. Oh, gosh. Y'all know my Branson hate. <laughs> If you've been around long enough, you know I hate Branson. Um, over Tons of traffic with a bunch of old people trying to turn left Darling. against each other. That's what Branson is. I got, I got married in Branson. Well, I'm sorry. It was it's a terrible. great day. <laughs> Sounds like your wedding day was terrible if you were in Branson. One time, I, like so I, one, time, one time at a service, I went off on Branson. I made up a bunch of jokes about Branson. I said how much I hate Branson. I said Branson's like hell on earth. And uh, two girls came up, and uh, they, had, they had tattooed on their forearm the latitude and longitude for Branson, because that's where Jesus changed their life at Kanakuk. And I had this thought in my, he in, my in my gut, I was like, do I double down on this, or do I like, do I tell him I'm sorry? And you know what I did, I doubled down. I said, well, good for you, I still hate Branson, it sucks. Um, anyway, continue. I, I don't know what to say to that. Um, okay, so the last few weeks, um, we have been witnessing some people who are getting baptized, which yep. is amazing and exciting. We're gonna have another one later tonight. Um, but Garland, what is baptism and why should we do it? Yeah, so think about, about baptism with two, two big things about what baptism is for, what baptism does. Uh, baptism is an ancient uh, rite, an ancient ritual. Uh, it, there's debate as to where Christians got it. Did they get it from Judaism uh, or did it come from something in the broader Greco-Roman culture? Here's how it functioned in the first century world. Baptism was, it's an initiation rite, 
I don't want to compare it to pledgeship, but, you know, because we got some of you in here. It's an initiation rite. It's you claiming that you have left a particular group, a particular way of life, and now you are joining a different group, a different way of life. And as such, baptism has two primary functions, okay? Here they are. Number one, and when you hear us say this frequently, it's an outward symbol of something that has happened internally. When we baptize people, we say buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. That's just Romans 6, verse 4. But Romans 6, verse 4 is like a full, long sentence. And if we did the whole thing, people would drown. And so we shortened it to buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. We're, sim- we're, we're showing what Jesus has done. We're quoting that verse. So it's a symbol. The second thing baptism is, and this is, the, I think, the part that a lot of us have missed in kind of the evangelical culture that we live in, baptism is also, it's more than just a symbol. It is a marker of your identification. What is going on back here? It is a marker of your identification. Just like, so the example I always use in talking about it is, uh, this wedding ring doesn't actually mean anything. Sorry. It's just a, I lost my first one on our honeymoon. This is faithful number two. Um, it's somewhere in the ocean. And uh, and Sarah, the last thing she said as we were going to the ocean, she said, you're going to lose that. It's too big. And I went, no, I'll be fine. And it's in the ocean. So this, this ring doesn't actually mean anything. But this ring is an identification marker. This ring tells uh, the world that, that I belong to Sarah. Like, she's my wife. And we, have, we identify with each other. And as such, that's what, baptism, that's what baptism does. It is a public identification that I am now, I'm aligned with a different king than the other kings of this culture. It's really important. So if you're in the room uh, and you're like, man, my life's been changed by Jesus, but I haven't taken that step to identify with Jesus. Uh, It'd be like saying, hey, I wanna live together, but I don't really wanna get married. It's a similar kind of idea. This is a public identification. I'm with Jesus. And so uh, come talk to us after the service. We'd love to process what that looks like and go sit down and talk about your story over coffee. And uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get you baptized, but uh, we're going to have baptism here just uh, a, a little bit. We're really excited. So that's, that's what baptism is. If you have more questions, come let us know. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Also, if you're someone in the room wanting to get baptized, come to us. Or if you can't find us, get on our website and just email someone saying that you want to get baptized. Yeah, we'll make it happen. Yes. Okay, we're going to switch over to some relationship questions, which also someone in here is wondering this if is I, I get single. Fired. So. <laughs> That's what we were laughing about. Someone just typed in, is Eileen single? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this has gotten off the rails. <laughs> okay, some questions that we want you to hit on. It's kind of two in one. Um, one, how to be content in singleness, and also just how to date well. Uh, let's do the first one uh, first. Um, the first question, how to be how to be content in singleness. Can I, can I just call out an idol that I see, especially in the Southern state schools with lots, of, uh, with lots of Greek students? Here's an idol, and I still hear it all the time. It's an idol that we've elevated. An idol is something that we say, I have to have that or I have nothing, I'll fall apart. We have made this narrative into an idol. Here it is, that if you don't meet your spouse in college and then get married kind of right out of college, then something's wrong with you, you're a loser. And nobody says it, nobody ever says that out loud, but I think a lot of people, 
by the way, this is men and women. I've talked to uh, men and women about this. There's this kind of underlying narrative that that's the way it's supposed to go. And some of your parents have put that pressure on you. Uh, that's where your parents met uh, at the U of A and they got married, moved back to Dallas and lived the life and kept moving north. And so now they're up in like a, uh, somewhere like Prosper now and they keep moving north and they keep taking this whole way. Um, but Fr- uh, Frisco actually is where they're headed. Frisco, yeah. Frisco. <laughs> Prosper's even north than that. Um, so can I just... Can, Singleness, like Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he never seems to complain uh, about the fact that he doesn't have a spouse uh, in his life. For all, all that we can tell, Paul wasn't married. And I don't look at the Apostle Paul and go, man, that guy was really missing out. He see, I, I, bet he was, I bet he really didn't have a satisfied, full life. And so can I just, can I just help you he, hear me if you're here, especially if you're like a junior, senior? Uh, that's a lie, that you gotta find your spouse in college. That's a lie. Um, first of all, um, be content in what Jesus has, has done for you. And to, the way you do that, the how, is you've got to daily fix your eyes on Jesus. By the way, that's the answer to all of this stuff. Is you've got to daily fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and remind yourself what he's done for you. And let that begin to work out that lie in your heart. The second one is this, how to date well. Um, there's a lot of, here's a common thing I hear around here uh, in, in state school at the U of A. Uh, People are gonna tell you how to date, and what they're gonna tell you is basically their experience. And maybe it worked for them, maybe it doesn't work for you. Uh, here's what I hear all the time, and I think, I think a lot of people's intentions are good when they tell you that, like, you can only date for six months, it's gotta be your senior year, right before you're uh, gonna be uh, getting married, you get, you get engaged at Christmas, then you get married in May, because that's the best way to do it. If you do anything other than that, you're wrong and you're a sinner. Uh, I, I think that's silly. Uh, people have lots of different experiences in dating. Here's what I would suggest to you. Get good friends around you that can keep you accountable. Ask the hard questions. What, where do they stand with Jesus? Like, if you just are with them because, uh, or you're interested in them because they're cool and funny and hot, like, that's not, gonna, that, that's not enough. Like, ask the, the hard questions about where their spiritual life is at and what is, it, what is their relationship with Jesus. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, if you're not, then whatever, do whatever you want. Um, and I would say take good advice from your, if your parents love Jesus, ask them. Take good advice from your parents and then just be willing to, uh, your relationship story will be unlike anybody else's relationship story and that's okay. Uh, here's the funny one that I always kind of make fun of. Uh, I don't know how that's supposed to work. All right, everybody, how do you date well? You run after Jesus with everything you got. Then you look to the left or the right, and you see who's running alongside you there. (laughs) And then you look over there and you say, our senior year, we'll date for six months, and then we're going to get engaged at Christmas, and then we're going to get married in May. That's how it works around here. I mean, that's, that's like maybe two people's story, and it's good for them. Be okay to take a deep breath, get good people around you, ask the hard questions, talk to your parents. They might actually know something. Uh, and then pray a lot. Um, so Sarah and I started dating at the very, very, she was younger than me, so we're at the very end of college. I was graduating, she was still in college. Um, and no, nobody else's story is like ours. So why would I presume to tell you how to date? Uh, you gotta ask the right questions. And there's a lot of things along the way here uh, on how to do it. And if you have further questions, I'm sure there's some follow-ups to that. Maybe there's some big categories that I might suggest uh, for you. But uh, anyway, anything to add on that? I, I think you should talk in that voice for the rest of the night, actually. Who are you impersonating when you do that? Like, who comes to your mind? <laughs> Be honest. 
No, I can't be honest. I have somebody in mind when I say that. No, I can't tell you who I think of. Yeah, you hear that all the time, though. Okay, I actually do have something to add. Um, something that I was told while I was dating is kind of, yes, practice as if, for me, it was to be a wife, but it was a wife, not his wife. And so, and another thing that I heard that really convicted me, honestly, was if I get out of a relationship, say 20 years down the road, will that person's spouse be able to come up and thank me for the way that I dated him? So that was convicting for me and just, yeah, helped in dating relationships. Yeah, that's good. And, and I know this is a question a lot of y'all have. We, we've seen it multiple times tonight about boundaries specifically in relationships. And we skipped it over on purpose, one, because I think boundaries can be different for different people, but two, I don't feel like it gets that question, at least in my heart when I was dating and asking that question, was, was more like, how much can I get away with? Like, how much can I do before I should feel guilty about it? And we're, we phrased the question, how to date well, because we, we want to do the positive of like, hey, here's how to be faithful to the Lord in these dating relationships. And so I know some of y'all have the question about boundaries, and we'd love to to talk about that, and, uh, but yeah, I don't think that's the most important question. Yeah, I think you need to be talking about spiritual things when you're, when you're uh, hanging out with people that you are dating or might be dating. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean you have to go, let us pray together. We're on date number three. Um, I wanna lead you well. Like, I think that'd be a little premature, but I do think that's important. If you are a Jesus follower in the room, and you are hiding that, or you think it'd be weird, how could you help but talk about Jesus with people in your life? I, I don't know how, you, you, should be, you should be talking about your story and what matters to you and what's important to you. I don't know how you get to know that person and know where they're at spiritually if you weren't engaging that. And so uh, I think putting, putting some guardrails on that, yeah. But uh, I think there's this notion that you're gonna have to, that you have to hide that you're a Christian almost. And then when you get, when you get married, you're like, by the way, uh, I follow Jesus. What about you? I hope you do. And I think that's dumb. That's never gonna work out. And so uh, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, I hope that you can't help but talk about Jesus with everybody that you're uh, in relationships with, your friends, your family, your coworkers, people that don't even know Jesus. And so uh, I think being okay, just, yeah, we're talking about Jesus and that's fine. All right, we're running out of time. We got two questions to go. One that, after you talked about baptism, we had three or four questions come in about rebaptism. Like, is that okay if I was baptized when I was little, but then wanted to get baptized again later? What, it, what is that like? So talk about the, the idea of getting baptized multiple times. Yeah, so we, so fellowship practices, there's a lot of debate on this. Uh, some churches uh, split over this even. And so what, what fellowship practices, what we call believer's baptism. That means uh, we baptize people that have chosen to follow Jesus. Um, and that's, how, that's what we practice here. And what that looks like here is if you, are, if you were christened as a baby, so I was christened in First Methodist Church of Mena, Arkansas. Anybody from Mena? Yeah. All my family goes back to Mena. It's a beautiful place, Mena, Arkansas. Uh, I was christened in uh, that little church in Mena. Um, and so the Methodist tradition that, that uh, my mom's church was, they practiced that. And then I, I made the decision to get baptized uh, later on in life. And so that, uh, 
we are, we are okay doing that here at Fellowship. Uh, it doesn't mean that we think it nullifies the first thing. We would wanna process that with you. Um, we wanna talk through what that looked like. Uh, if you are here going, well, I got baptized and I made some really big mistakes, now I wanna get rebaptized. I just, you don't need to. Um, everybody in this room who's a Jesus follower has had mistakes, like have made some mistakes, made some serious mistakes. And so the baptism is not, hey, I'm following Jesus and I sure hope he's happy with me and as long as he is, this thing will work out. When you're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life, it's signifying that that old self has been crucified and as far as Jesus is concerned, he is able to see us washed clean in him. And so you wouldn't need to be rebaptized in that sense. Now we still might wanna talk about what that looks like in your life to now follow Jesus coming out of a season where maybe you weren't, uh, but uh, you wouldn't have to get rebaptized in that sense. So uh, it just depends on the person, depends on the situation. Um, and so just come talk to one of us uh, after this tonight, and we'll, we'd love to process that with you. A couple more. There's a lot about dinosaurs, but I think we're gonna have to skip over that one. Tonight. Are there really? I, there's three about dinosaurs. I, I love talking about dinosaurs. If you, have, if you have a 90 second answer to dinosaurs, you got it. What is the exact question? No, it's just dinosaurs. That's all they said. Talk about dinosaurs for they 90 seconds. They just said dinosaurs. They're real. Okay, it's not God's big trick. Uh, he put them in the in the ground because he's trying to test Christians. Uh, they, they really existed. Uh, what I, why I like talking about dinosaurs is this: um, when you approach Genesis one and two, I'm surprised there aren't more questions about this. Uh, when you approach Genesis one and two, um, here's what you have to do, and I, I can do this in 90 seconds. Uh, you have to take off. We all, read, we all approach the Bible with different lenses, different glasses that we put on. And we can't help but do it. But if you put on these glasses, I'll describe some. Uh, 2021, I'm an American, dinosaurs, uh, I'm an American, um, and I want to have an apologetic, I wanna have a defense against Darwin and evolution, so I wanna put those glasses on and read Genesis 1 and 2. Um, if you do that, you will make Genesis say and do things that it's not trying to do. Genesis 1 and 2 was written in an ancient Near Eastern context and is trying to address things to the ancient Near Eastern audience. Having said that, uh, if you approach Genesis with that sort of lens, you might try to force it to say things like, and I'm, I'm not making fun of this, uh, and I, I understand why different people believe this way, but to force the, the universe to be a certain short age, maybe 6,000 years. And if that's the case, then where do dinosaurs fit in? I guess they missed the ark. Uh, and so it's gonna, it's gonna have some strange, uh, some strange answers, but all of that is us forcing Genesis to do a dance it's not trying to do. If you're in the room and you're going, I got a lot of questions about Genesis, uh, I got questions about evolution, how does that fit together? We would really love to process those with you. Can I just give you a, a deep breath here? Let me say something. The Bible may not be, in fact, I don't believe that it is, the Bible may not be saying, affirming that the earth is only 6,000 years old. The Bible have, may, may give a space for the earth being much older than that. And we have to figure out what the author is trying to communicate before we impose our own questions into the text. And I think that's what oftentimes we do. Uh, I've spent years uh, trying to figure out what Genesis 1 and 2 is trying to get across, and uh, I think it's really cool. Um, but if you'd like to talk about it more, come find me or Eileen, because Eileen's got a lot to say on this topic. And she's single. And she's single, yeah. Recently uh, got bangs. <laughs> yeah, recently got bangs. Thanks, guys. So, 
I also majored in evolution, so it was really fun, and I like to nerd out about it. So. And what college did you go to? Central Michigan University. Fire up chips. Chippewas. Oh, that was really tough. Yeah, nobody knows no what that. Reaction. Nobody that's knows okay. what that is. So yeah. That's okay. <laughs> hey, thanks guys. <laughs> um, okay, Garland, we have one last question, really quickly. What do you wish you would have known as a Christ follower in college? Oh man. Um, from earlier, I, I wish I had dated differently. Um, so I always, what I, usually when I talk about the boundaries question, what I always say to that is, uh, uh, I, if I could go back and talk to myself then, I would say uh, trying to answer the question, how far is too far, put me in really bad situations, because that basically was me, like Josh said, was tr- how, far can, how much can I get away with? Uh, as opposed to, um, how can I fight for purity, and what does it look like to not even put myself in a situation where I can make an unwise decision in this relationship? Probably the biggest thing, uh, though, if I could look back on me back then, would be to, it's just, it's just you asked about me, so, um, that to take a deep breath and reading the Bible, and I've got a lot of, I think we come to the Bible, and I did this, I had lots and lots and lots of nights, I lived in Yoakum for three years, yeah, three years, I was an RA at Yoakum, he's a really cool guy, um, <laughs> The ladies were after me in college, I can tell you that, uh, being an RA. So I lived in yoga for three years, and I can remember, um, I can remember nights, and I called them just like these nights of kind of these long, dark nights where uh, I was in you know, biological anthropology, or I, I, I was one class away from minoring in philosophy, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I had all these doubts from geology class and biological anthropology and these other classes, and then I was going to read my Bible, and the stuff that they were saying in those classes, then I was taking classes about world civilization and ancient history, and they were saying that there's no way Moses wrote this, and there's no way that the gospels are written here, and those show about these other gospels, and it, it created in me this big, deep angst of like, if I can't trust God in Genesis, then I don't know if I can trust God in the book of John, and I don't know if I can trust anything about Jesus, and I don't know if I can trust, if I can't trust that, then why am I living for it? I might as well just go and live for myself. That's what I should do. And if I could just, just talk to me back then, I would probably tell him. And by the way, just before, in that season, God was really gracious. Like God was so gracious to me to bring people in my life or like certain books in my life or just a settled hope in him, just a confidence in him. He didn't abandon me in that. So that's why we even do these nights is if you're like me, by the way, a lot of you are with just doubts, it's okay. I wish I could go back and tell myself to just take a deep breath and to recognize that I'm bringing a lot of questions to the Bible and trying to force the Bible to answer them a certain way instead of just letting the Bible speak for itself. Now, that's really challenging, especially the Old Testament, but letting, letting the Bible ask and answer the questions that it wants to ask and answer and not me impose certain questions that I want to ask and answer. I think it would have helped me to see that sometimes we're forcing the Bible to say and do things. I don't really think the Bible's even trying to say and do, and then we get really passionate about it, and sometimes it make us, makes us feel silly or scared or, or filled with lots of anxiety or doubt. So that's probably what I tell myself besides date better. Um, yeah. I mean, how could they not resist an English major, you know? Well, they were, that's right. You know? That dude's an English major? He's an, an RA. RA. And, and he lives English in Yoko? Wow. I was English creative writing with a poetry emphasis. Like, you know, Swooning. That's crazy. Wow, isn't it? Um, hey, we literally got 150 questions, and so I, I wish we could be here for hours, uh, and Garland does too. He loves this. 
answering these questions, but again, the point of tonight, we wanna just remind y'all that we want you to ask questions. Doubting does not make you a bad Christian. It makes you a real Christian. We want you to wrestle with these things. We want you to ask questions, and we want you to have a place that you can know that you can bring these questions to. And so thank you for asking these questions. Keep asking these good questions. There's no question that's off limits. And so thanks for asking those. We'll hopefully we'll have another time like this maybe in the spring where we can ask questions. And we also don't want y'all to just come here tonight, get a bunch of knowledge, and then, and then leave. We want y'all, we want this to change. We want the knowledge of who God is to change us from the inside out. We want y'all to leave tonight having maybe even just a glimpse more than you had before of, of who the actual God is, the God that loves you um, and sacrificed himself for you. And so we want you to know that and we want that to, to change you. And so uh, Kennedy is gonna pray for us and then we're just gonna continue to get to worship that God together tonight. Then we'll celebrate in baptism. Yeah, yeah. Kennedy, let's Absolutely. pray. All right, Lord, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your son and his sacrifice and just the perfect example that he is to us. Lord, I pray over this church that we would be just a body of believers that strive towards you and strive to become more and more like you. Lord, we believe in you, but help us in our unbelief. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.
celebrate the words that we're singing and his grace that is poured out on us, that death has been defeated and life has begun. We're going to celebrate that with you, Thane. So Evan, take it away. You share a story. Yeah, so my name's Evan, and I had the privilege of meeting Thane a few years ago when we were working on summer staff together at New Life. And interesting thing about Thane is he loves to ask questions. And so towards the end of that summer, he came to me and he asked me if I would start mentoring him and discipling him and talking about our Lord and Savior. And I was overjoyed and so happy. And so as the semester began, we started meeting once a week and a funny thing happened. It was not the Lord going through me like teaching to Thane, it was just a conversation. The questions that he had and just the joy that he has for the Lord in his life is unparalleled. He has a joy about him for the Lord, for his grace, for his love that is truly special. And so as the months kept going and we kept meeting, um, he decided to come back and work again on summer staff and became a leader. He follows the Lord with 
uh, intensity and joy. And Dane, I am so proud of you and so proud of the decision you're making today for uh, the public display for baptism. So, Well, thank your story, when we met for coffee that day, it was so encouraging to me what the Lord's doing in your life. Uh, and so is it your testimony in front of your family of faith that Jesus is your Savior and you wanna follow him for the rest of your life? Yes. Good. And it's my joy and my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in the newness of life. Father, you sent your son into this world to set us free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And those whom the son have set, has set free are free indeed, free from the bondage of sin, free from the chains of death and the fear of death. You've enabled us to be a new humanity, a new people in this world, a people set free by the grace and mercy of our God. And it's through us now that you're bringing that message of freedom to this world. What a joy and what a privilege. And so we celebrate your goodness and we celebrate your grace in this place tonight. It's to your glory that we pray, Father. 
Amen. Hey, before you head out, just uh, if you've got questions, and I, and I know we had a lot more questions that were sent in, don't leave. Feel like you got to get out of here. Our staff will hang around. We would love to process. We'll just kind of hang out down here. We'd love to process with you. Uh, all of our cell phone numbers are on the our website. Although our website's not that good, you can find it. Uh, you can just ch- just send a text to one of us, and uh, you can send us a. DM or whatever you call it, and uh, just get a hold of us, and we would love to grab coffee or lunch and walk through it. It may take years to walk through some of your questions, years to walk through some of your doubts, and we would love to walk alongside you in that journey. If you're on the worship team and you're a lady, uh, Kelly Parks will be right down here as well. She'd love to invite you to her house on Thursday night. Uh, hey, we're off next week, so have a great uh, fall break. We'll see y'all right back here Halloween night. We'll be reconstructing our faith together Love y'all. Have a great two weeks. See y'all.